Hey, welcome back to the podcast. And I want to begin this podcast with a quote, and it's from uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, J.R. Tolkien. I wish it need not to have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And I think the times that we're in and new times that are going to come and new experiences are going to be happening, nothing will have a precedent to what will happen next and happen following because we're in a new time. When anything new comes along, you'll either react as if it's a threat or as if it's an opportunity. Back in, back in my college days, I had a business professor who would have us do SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T. You look at the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats. And I remember the first day he had us do them, and we were all, you know, these naive freshmen in, in college, and we would look at something as a strength or a weakness or an opportunity or a threat. And then about halfway through the exercise, he said, you guys are listing these in one category. And a lot of times, one thing can be both a threat and an opportunity. It just depends on how you view it. So all these things that you guys have been labeling as threats, here's how it's an opportunity. Here's how an entrepreneur sees it as an opportunity. And that really shifted my perspective, not just obviously not just on business or school, but on life. And I'm come to see so many things that people worry about as threatening their way of life or threatening their existence, threatening their health, threatening their, their social status or their finances. You can honestly see that same situation as an opportunity. And it doesn't take you turning yourself into some naive, head-in-the-clouds person that doesn't understand the, the dire reality of a situation you can actually be very reasonable about it too. So it's not just, you know, either you take something so seriously that you're afraid of it or you're just so naive that you just don't get it and you're just not based in reality. There is a very real way of looking at the most dire circumstances as an opportunity. And I know a lot of us are are facing that right now with everything that's going on. I, I like how you're you're laying that out of and it, it really ties into like even when we're looking at what's going on in our world right now, some people are focused just on the virus and what it's doing and whether it's really that harmful or whether it's not that harmful and they're weighing that decision. Others are looking at the economy of what it's affecting, what it's not affecting. The healthcare worker is looking at how do we effectively deal with, with this in an efficient manner with the tools that we have. The, the truck driver is looking at how do I get from point A to point B in an efficient manner to feed the grocery stores, but how do I stop and get food if things are closed? Then you have the grocer of how do we get staff in here, but yet we got to kind of manage all this. And we have, a you know, the pastor is how do I keep my congregation together and how do I exercise my freedom to keep ministering because we 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 have an answer of hope to the people. And all and and there I could just keep listing all the different aspects and you know like a navy seal they have a specific role within the military they have a specific job they don't worry about how the navy's going to get ships from point A to point B they just work they just focus on what their task is once they get dropped off into a spot and i think it's important that everyone has their specialty and their niche but remember all those niches have to work together for the whole thing to function and I think sometimes we lose perspective of that of what's the bigger picture. 
If I make my stand right now, what does it affect the stand of other people? How does it affect those pieces? And I, I think sometimes we have to step back and look at a bigger, broader scale of what's actually going on and how the world's being affected. So when we're looking at threats and opportunity, we have to get our mind off our narrow little world and look at something much bigger. In the book of Esther, remember, there was multiple characters that made all of this happen. So God is hearing a cry, and now he's bringing relief and deliverance. And I want you to see all these characters that had to come out. You had Haggai, who was the one who watched over the concubines. He was the eunuch. Talk about a rough life right there. Uh, separate conversation. But anyway, he was the eunuch. So he would watch over all the concubines. And, and Esther, you have Esther, you have Mordecai, you have Haman, you have the King Asherus, you have the people, you have all these different players with different roles and different responsibilities. But each one had to start working with each other in order for this to all play out. And I think it's important that in any type of situation, even in opportunity, you can't get you can't just run into opportunity because you see opportunity. It does affect other other people and other groups. And we have to learn to see all these different these different viewpoints. And that's what Jesus saw when Jesus made an act or did something. He saw something much bigger in the act versus the immediate result of how it would benefit him, benefit his thought process benefit his action. Now, he had a direct purpose, but he had to work within all of these groups to get from point A to point B. Looking at those characters in the story of Esther, I'm really seeing that they had to be placed almost in a specific order or a specific way for this to all happen the right way. So, um, for example, there, there had to be an authority given and a, a new law and decree written for the people to rise up and defend themselves in the right way. Because we were talking about this before, why didn't they just rebel in the first place? If there was an issue going on, if there was people that were going to be coming against them, why didn't they just fight back and rebel? In their context, if they were to rebel and fight back without that decree, they're incurring the wrath of the king and the entire kingdom. Now you, we can say that it's, it's a bad system or an old time, things shouldn't have happened that way. Okay, great, maybe things shouldn't have been that way, but that's how things were at the time. Without that authority and that decree, it becomes a rebellion against a kingdom instead of a vindication of people rising up to defend themselves. And so you, it's, not, it's not enough to just say, I've got this desire to fight back against something. There's got to be something deeper to that. There's got to be a purpose to that because the purpose was to deliver a people. It wasn't to bring down the king. It wasn't to bring down the kingdom of Persia or to change the governmental structure of Persia necessarily. It wasn't about that. It was about lifting up a people that were in a bad situation. And I think that needs to be a change in focus for a lot of us because especially when times get rough, you start looking for someone to blame and someone to tear down. Or you start looking for an organization to blame or tear down. And maybe that organization is actually in the wrong. That might You might be right there. But if the focus is just on tearing them down, and we talked about this a little bit last week, so we won't spend too much time on this. It's about lifting things up instead. And Brian, you had a quote from, I don't remember who it was, about this idea of um, leveling out walls or tearing down a house. I don't remember exactly what it was. Do you still have that? Like when building a home, the walls need to be trued level, stable, and strong. But you cannot equalize a wall 
by knocking them all flat. You can only equalize them by lifting all the parts. When the foundation weakens on one side, you don't compensate by lowering all the sides. Rather, you lift the side sagging so all remains true. Therefore, the whole house is justified. Every part has a role to play, uniquely different, but serving the whole. In some cases, the whole house needs to be brought down and rebuilt. But truth, freedom, love and courage of the strong join together, lifting all the pieces are required to bring the benefit of the structure to all. In our modern era, we've seen a deep desire for such change emerging, not a desire that speaks what's in it for me, because that would be tearing down the rest of the house so you're lifted up. That, that, that would be that thought process. Rather, an inner desire, not pressured, or of a politically correct acceptance that speaks, what can I offer you? Now, in times, the house does need to be mm -hmm. leveled. There, there, is, there is a case for that. But I think we get so focused sometimes on leveling houses or leveling systems versus seeing how God, if you look throughout all of Scripture, whether it's, it's from Abraham to David to the judges to um, Esther to the prophets to Jesus, they were bringing a place of lifting the people first. And when the people were lifted and strong, they were equalized in, the, in, in, a, in a perspective to the opponent. But once they were lifted, a light was shined on the opponent and those that were full of mal malice, self-seeking, uh, personal desire, and were actually weak using oppression to lift themselves, a light was shined on them and they were scattered. So it, when you lift and elevate someone in a true strength, it brings a light to what is weak and it, it breaks down. And now you can rework with that. But every one of the characters throughout the Old Testament were placed in kingdoms that weren't theirs. It, it's very interesting. I mean, David finally got his kingdom, but he had to go live with the Philistines for a long time because he was forced into living in another place. We see Joseph. I mean, that wasn't his whole idea, but he ended up ruling Egypt. But he went in as someone and through favor and influence, not by rights and not by demands and not by a hostile overthrow, but by favor, he shaped and shifted so that a new kingdom could emerge. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. Now, it's hard articulating when that time is and when that is not. Like Mordecai, for instance, what stirred this whole problem was Mordecai refused to bow to Haman. He was placed in second in command to the king. And Mordecai, in his belief system, because it says that the Jews have a different law than the king, so something within Mordecai's belief system would not bow to Haman. It didn't mean he didn't obey his decrees. It didn't mean that he was in absolute revolt, but he would not bow to him. That's what stirred this whole entire problem. So there is a time, based on an inner conviction, to stand and say, no, I'm not bowing to that. There's an aspect of this, I won't worship you. It's what he was saying. I won't worship you, Haman. I'll bow to the king, but I won't worship you. And there was some context within that that we don't. It doesn't fully dis display what why why that case was, but that's what was taking place there. And so this this caused a ripple effect for all the other factors to go in. But sometimes people like taking hard stands without really knowing. They're more of a stand of their own justice versus something deeper. Mordecai wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about something bigger. 
and now a law was being put into place and now effects were coming in that he personally couldn't stand. He didn't cause a revolt because of Haman. He didn't send a letter to all the Jewish people to stand up against Haman. He just made a decision. That decision was affecting everybody else. So I think it's critical in all this, every decision we make is the one thing we have a choice to do. You might think, no, I don't have any choices here. No, you can say yes or you can say no. There's a con consequence either way. But it's in that we need to see, are we prepared for the grander ripple effect? And are we confident enough in that stand to make it? Which I think shows the importance of knowing what your actions are going to do, the effect that they're going to have on the people around you in a close circle and your community. Because you taking a stand on something that you feel like you should take a stand on is going to have an effect on a lot of people, whether it's whether their perspective is right or wrong. And you need to be aware of that. I mean, it, it says, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves in the New Testament. That's a pretty good suggestion. You know, you need to understand how the system that you're operating in works. You need to understand how the world works. You, you really do. Jesus demonstrated this many times. One of my favorite examples of this is he, he knew about this temple tax. And he didn't say, I don't have to pay this because I'm of a different kingdom, even though that would be true. And he didn't do anything to just kind of throw it back in their face. But at the same time, he didn't pay it out of his own pocket. But he operated in their system so as not to cause an unnecessary disruption. Now, there are times where he caused a disruption in the temple with the money changers and flipping over tables. We're really fond of going to that story, and there is a big context to that for sure. But it's not like that was his, you know, his normal operating procedures. It's not like he got into a new city and said, all right, what tables can I flip over here to show that I'm bringing something in new? And so on one hand, I think we have to ask ourselves, when you feel like you need to take a stand against something, you, you might need to, and that might be the right thing to do. But first ask yourself, am I taking this stand because it's going to make me feel good about myself for taking a stand? Or am I doing it because it's the right thing to do for the people around me, for the mission that's, that's on my heart? And I, that, that's such a great point. And I know what, it's hard talking about any of these issues without being somewhat general. Because it's hard putting a specific thing of what someone should do in a situation, which most of us are looking for. I mean, we've been kind of taught throughout our whole Christian life, at least I was, that if you're in a problem, God has an answer for that problem. And he does. But usually it comes first with you be at peace. When you're at peace and rest with you, then all of a sudden your actions that flow won't have the self-motivations and the self-preservation and the self-security because you're already secure. And so now you're making stands. When Jesus, there was a time where he was in the city of Jerusalem and the people started crowding him. And then they wanted to kill him. And so they were picking up stones and it says he slipped out from among them. Now he could have taken a stand, but he said, my time is not now. There's a time. There was a time, even when he, when he was being accused of not paying taxes, that's when he did whisper to Peter, hey, we don't have to. It's not right. But for the sake of not offending them, I'm going to do it. Now, sometimes he was offensive. Other times he was not offensive because he had a bigger scope of where he was going and how to navigate through that. Remember when the parable that when the, the wheat and the tear, the man went and plant wheat, 
and the enemy came in and sowed tear. And what was the response? Let them both grow together and then we'll separate them. Because if you tear the tear out too early, you're going to wreck the wheat. So there's a season and a time for when things are to take place. And you'll know in your heart. And there's some people that need to take a stand in the midst of all this stuff. And then there's others that are taking a stand because it's my right. And there's just sometimes it's hard mixing those two. So let me ask you specifically, because you've got a a very unique perspective on this. So um, for listeners who don't know, you grew up in America. You're an American citizen. And for the last you know, five to seven years, you've lived in Thailand, running outbound life. So you've been a guest of the government of Thailand for years and years and years now. So you've lived here and you've lived under that kingdom and you've been a pastor of a church. You've done a lot of different things in ministry. So when you look at the situation a lot of pastors are faced with and a lot of churches are faced with now, hey, you guys can't meet on Sundays or most states, most cities are recommending at least, or strongly recommending that you don't meet on Sundays, or if you do keep it to less than 10 people or 50 people, whatever the number is, because it varies. How do you see that kind of a thing? Like what's what would be the perfect response for every pastor? I'm being a little facetious here, but what's the right thing to do when the government recommends that you don't gather on Sundays because of you know public health concerns? In our specific situation, I'm a guest, and right now, the government of Thailand has issued some of the same decrees. All non-essential businesses are closed. The malls are closed. You can still get food. It's takeout. No sitting in a restaurant. Uh, Don't gather more than 10. Keep social distance. It's almost all the same rules that are going on in the U.S. and in other places. Uh, The borders are kind of locked down. Well, the borders are locked down. Um, Travel in and out is very hard. and so it's a, it's a very similar place. Um, our church was too big uh, that we attend, and it's in a public facility, so that was closed. So they went to small groups and, and communicating about that, and the pastor just staying in contact with those groups. Now, the, the Thai church that oversees our church, they have a network of churches, and they're smaller. And the government says you can meet, but you need to stay within a small group there needs to be social distancing and someone needs to take a temperature reading before they come in, make sure they're sanitizing stations. And it wasn't, this situation is a little unique and it was, it's set for a designated time. It's not a uh, congressional law. It's not a law of the land. It's dealing with what they believe is an emergency. And we can sit and argue all day long of whether it's really an emergency or whether it's not an emergency. I think that's where we, we can agree and disagree and I have some thoughts one way and then I flip and I have some thoughts a different way and you we could go all over about that but we're focused on the wrong thing right now you have big groups that are put in charge that are trying to be, bring some semblance of order now we can argue how the order is but it's pretty consistent across the countries of how it's doing and we can get into the grand conspiracy of why they're bringing into the order but right now I work with government officials. I have relationships with government officials. We're here to be, bring a blessing. If we stand up and say, we're grouping and we're doing this, you know what, I'll get by with it for about a week or two. But right now what they're looking at is declaring a, a national state of emergency, which will bring the military out. Now it's going to be enforced criminally to start doing this. And what happens is in these vulnerable times when everyone's trying to figure out what to do, if it was... 
The churches cannot meet. Oh, by the way, the bars can remain open. The restaurants can remain open. Uh, and this group can remain open. I could see where there could be an argument made, but I'm not in a position to make that stand because I'm a guest of the country. If I was in the U.S., I would probably have a different stand. But when they even close the trading floor of Wall Street, the money-making machine, and they have to do that remotely, when Congress is getting ready to dismiss and send everybody home so they're not grouping, this, this is something that is general across the board. And again, we can look at it from a grand conspiracy of stuff, and it there's always going to be evil in everything that's going on. But this is where you kind of have to respect the leaders because it's not a target towards a group. It is a general blanket for everybody, and everybody is drastically affected by this. But thank God for the time and space. We can communicate. Right, and I honestly see a massive opportunity there because you look at all the panics and the problems throughout history. Look at every single one. Not once has there been a time where there's been such a great panic, whether it's legitimate or not. I mean, the panic's real, whether you think the, the issue behind it's real or not. There's never been a time where we have something going on like this, coupled with the technology and ability to stay extremely connected throughout it, no matter your location. And maybe for some people, it's it's time that they start utilizing those tools, and it can be a very uncomfortable thing to have to shift towards that. But I think the point is, whatever the decision is, have you been asking yourself how that decision affects other people? Not how it makes you feel, not how it makes you look at yourself in the mirror, but how does it affect the people around you? Specifically, if you're a pastor of a church, how does it affect your congregation? How does it affect the community that you're around? How are people... How are people viewing you now? And and on one hand, I understand we shouldn't make decisions based on, well, how is this person going to think of me after I make this decision? There's there's a context for that. And we could go down all the what-ifs and all the bunny trails and different scenarios, and we could waste a lot of time doing that. But ultimately, I just kind of want to bring it back to a core here. Whatever decision you end up making, is it because you're afraid of losing something if you don't do it? Or is it because you are confident that this is the right thing for you to do? Like for, for one example, if income and money wasn't a factor, would you still make this decision? And are you letting that influence of, you know, what if, what if the income dips? What if it has a problem? What if there's a hiccup in this? Is that the overriding factor in the decision-making process? Because if it is, I think we've kind of got a problem in our focus and our perspective here. It's interesting that you go to school and there's only like a few core things that really you that stick with you for a long period of time. And I know there's a lot of perspective and things that you grow in. But one thing stood out to me in being taught. However you build your ministry is how you're going to have to maintain it. And so I think sometimes people are running into that. And I don't, again, these are these are real general statements because I do think God is speaking to certain people to do a certain act based on their community, based on what's going on around them, and to say this is how you should do it or how you shouldn't do it. I, I think we could get into a wrong place there. It still needs to come from what's on the inside of you. And I've, I've, I think when we start condemning a person or bringing a judgment on a person for not doing it in the manner that we think that they should do it, we could really run into some big problems there. And so again, with, with looking at the book of Esther and looking at what, what Scripture says, if we would go back to some core things, 
we'd be able to know how to respond to these manner, this manner in such a way. Um, there was an interesting report of a fireman. Um, it was just before all this hit, and there was a fire, and there was a woman. That actually, I don't even remember who this person was. I was more focused on what was the result of it. But there was an individual that couldn't get out of the burning building, and the fireman broke protocol. There's a protocol as firemen of how to deal with fires to provide the safety for the firemen and also to accomplish the manner, the situation in the best manner. And he didn't wait for backup and he ran in and rescued the person. And had he not done that, the person would have died. But he took a huge uh, impact and was temporarily suspended and there was, there was ramifications towards him from breaking the protocol. Now, in his eyes, he would have done it again. And everybody says they're glad they did it. But there is a ramification for doing it, and he was fully knowledgeable of that situation because he did break protocol. And he could have put other people at risk in what he did. But he could have gotten stuck. Now he has to send more firemen in to get him out. And so we can always look at these situations. But if you just take a snapshot of where that person was in that situation, he gave up his the risk of his job, his career. And he went and did something that saved a person's life. We still have to deal with all the, the, the bigger picture of it, but who's to say that was not the right decision? So that's what I'm saying is you, we have to measure what our core conviction, what God has built into us, not from a place of self-preservation, not from a place of it's about me, what about my world, what about how is it going to affect me, those kind of decisions. And it... it it is something maybe that people in ministry just need to have a sharp look at that. Am I doing this because my, my individual kingdom is going to be shuttered over this? Or am I doing it because of something bigger? And is my actions, do I believe in it enough that I'd be willing to lose what I currently have? And I think when those things get weighed, there's a lot of decisions to be made. But if it's to preserve what you have, I, I don't know. And again, we're, we're sitting, sitting here surmising hundreds of motives in doing something. I just think there's just something that we could, we, we need to get a grander scheme and it comes back to the point, what is our relationship with God? What, what is he saying to us? What am I willing to give up for the sake of that word? What am I willing to move forward in? What, what am I willing to, courage doesn't consider your own cost. Courage considers the benefit of someone else. So I, I thought this was interesting. So the two, the two groups of people that were absolutely hated by the Jews during the time of Jesus was the Roman soldier and the tax collector. Hated, because the Jews worked for the Romans to collect the tax of the oppressor. And then you have the Roman soldier who had no real regard to the Jews and looked down on them. And they were the oppressor, the invader. And it was interesting both the soldiers and tax collectors came to John the Baptist when he was baptizing people for repentance. And the tax collector asked John, Teacher, what should we do? And he replied, Collect no more taxes than the government requires. And then the soldier said, What should we do? And John replied, Don't extort money or make false accusations. Be content with your pay. He didn't tell either of them to quit. Yet they were in something that their belief system abhorred. Because once the centurion converted, now he's basically of a Jewish thought process now. 
And John didn't say quit. He said, change your motive within what you're doing. And I thought that was kind of an interesting, interesting perspective. So I want you to still have the influence as a, as a soldier. I want you to still have the influence as a tax collector, but I want your motives to change so that you're, you're doing it from a different perspective. Why? Because the kingdom of God was about ready to emerge and things need to be stable in places for this to take place. So in your experience, do you think people are more inclined to be too passive or too, I guess, outrageous when it comes to situations like this? Because the reason that that comes to my head is we see so many people in history and throughout scripture too, that did outrageous things that we would even today still say aren't very acceptable according to our morals and ethics or according to the way things we should go. You look at people in scripture like Samson, like Abraham, and even a lot of the things Jesus did that were not according to the social norms and not according to what their own people and their own family said they should be doing, and yet those were the things that they had to do. Those were the things that the Spirit of God moved on them to do. Stuff that we even today would are kind of like, I don't know about that, but it it's literally says the Spirit of God told this person to do that. So we have all these examples, and yet we almost want to put this little disclaimer there, okay, but don't be too extreme. Okay, I, I get that. No one is saying that you should do something so crazy, like try to go start a colony on Jupiter and say that God's going to meet you there, or you know, do something weird like that. But do you think that we're more inclined to be passive or more inclined to be too extreme in our response to things like this. Well, let's flash back over to Esther, since that was kind of the topic line that we were going down. And let's take a look at the people. So this decree goes out by Haman that on this March 7th, the, the people are, you know, however they come up with the date, but one of the translations puts March 7th. So on March 7th, you're going to go and you have permission to annihilate, eradicate, destroy, and plunder the Jewish people. All right, so that's the decree that goes out. How did the people respond? Could they have just rebelled? Could they have stood up? Could they have taken up arms? Did they want to go against, if they were conquered once, three generations ago, by, the, by Nebuchadnezzar, adopted into the Persian kingdom, they were living normal. They had normal lives. Mordecai had a position with the king. The, the Jews were, they were, they were a part of the culture now. They were just the norm. But now all of a sudden your race is being singled out. Well, if they were to rebel against the decree, you'd have the whole Persian army against you. Now you will be eradicated. So there's a place of, how do we stand up? How do we do this? Well, there, there was someone in place. So most likely they prayed. God heard them, and Mordecai rose up and encouraged Esther to make a decision. Because you have to do this. It may cost you your life. So someone still put their life on the line to stand up to something. And so, again, in all of this picture, once the people receive the power to stand up for themselves at the support of the king, it equalized everything, and then you see what happens. And I think there's just a timing and a place. But this gets so complicated and all this, and we can spend so much, I mean, I've listened to so much different information of, yeah, we shouldn't do it and obey, but sometimes that could be passive. And others say, well, we need to push forward and, and go forward with our, 
with whatever event we're doing because it's really critical to the body of Christ. I, I, I don't I don't know how to answer that question to really get back to your point. I just don't I don't know what's in the heart of people. I don't know what their decisions. But I can't make a decision based on the popular view of some people I see doing things. I need to go back to what's core in me. And right now I live in a country that um yeah, I could do that, but what would what would be my real gain in that? What at the end, what would I gain from it? Unless, of course, I had had a conviction to move forward in something that I was willing to sacrifice everything because I so believed in this one thing. And so I don't really see what the one thing benefit is. And if I saw it, maybe I'd have a different decision, but I don't know what that that key piece would be at this point. And so all that to say is in making your decisions, Paul said, to be live if it all possible, live peaceably with all men. He told he told one group of people to just go at home, be quiet, and do your work. To another person, they need to stand up and be bold and have the courage, even at the cost of your life. And they're both accurate. It's just the timing of things. And I think that's where the biggest point that we need to get is, Father, what is the time that I'm in and what is my response to it? Maybe that's the key, because I... I firmly believe that our problem isn't that we don't have a lack of options on how to respond or how to express what we feel like we need to do. It's just that we're very familiar with we're very familiar with what the response of the government is, but we're not as familiar with what the response of the spirit is. And maybe those two are telling you to do the same thing. I'm not saying they're necessarily in conflict with each other, but I could ask a dozen of people in my circle what the latest government recommendations are and what the response is right now, and they'd be able to tell me in a second. But if I were to ask them, so what's what's the Spirit of God telling you is, is for you in this time and in this season? Like, what are you going to do in this time? Because it's a very unique challenge and opportunity we're presented with. And I've asked some people this, and we have no response for it. And this isn't this isn't meant to be like a, you know, we just got to get in the word more, we got to turn off the news and pray more, even that's probably the best advice that some people could hear right now. But I guess my point is we don't know what the expression of an internal word is. We just know what the expression of the external word is. We know that we're being told by these external things to do this and it might be the right thing to do, but we don't really have an internal confidence about this. And I'm seeing this in, in so many people right now. It's I mean, Go and find one person that has not heard about this and has not heard about how devastating it is. Go find one person. You can't find one right now. It's consumed everything that we talk about all the time. And I feel like that's just not okay. It's, it's great to be aware, and we've kind of beat that disclaimer to death, and I get that, but why is it becoming such a focal point of every conversation, every group text, everything in the world and in the church, is all about that right now. And am I am I kind of missing something? Because I feel like that's just not, not the best thing for us right now. First, I want to put a slight disclaimer on this whole podcast. We're just talking through what's going on, and I, I want to leave this where we don't have such um, vague answers, but there's so, there's so much information. So much information. Whoever you talk to, they have the source of information. And you know what? It may be 100% accurate, but there's other pieces that they're not considering. But removing all that, back to your point, there is something about being tempered by war. Going back to my military analogy. So let's take Easy Company for a minute. 
Easy Company got stuck. They were the ones that were paratrooped in. They got stuck with every hard thing. They they took a brutal beating throughout all of the, the campaign throughout Europe. But I want you to consider something. A reinforcement would come in, and they would almost cause more havoc because they had all this knowledge of what they should do. They had Some had this eagerness to go in and fight. Some had this fear to go in and fight. You had all this stuff with these seasoned veterans. And a lot of times it took that seasoned person to say, calm down, do your job, do your duty, do what you're trained to do, and this is where we're going to go. And as the bombs started happening and they became conditioned to the life, the, the life that they were currently in, they almost could think better because they could think beyond what their what was initially happening to them because they realized we're not going to live if we're just thinking about ourselves. And that that is very pivotal. I love I love the scene from Mel Gibson when he was in We Were Soldiers. They they do their landing and all of a sudden they're getting invaded from all around them and all chaos. Everything is breaking loose all the way around them. It is it, it is absolutely pandemonium that is taking place. And the radio operator is just throwing out all this stuff. And finally, Mel Gibson, with, with bullets flying around him, walked over to the radio operator and says, Calm down. Calm down. Now. Relay the messages clearly. And he had to bring some sense of order to that. And I think sometimes in the midst of that, we've never had experiences like this. The moment we are, you know, something bubbles up, we don't really have that mental, we're, we're so knee-jerk. And so, again, the more we can calm, calm into our identity, who are we? Whose are we? Let's get a big picture of this. This is a fraction of time for our eternity, for those that are believers, for the rest of eternity, for eternity. This is a small sliver of time. So if we put things into perspective just for a moment, small sliver of time. Now, within that sliver, you know where you're going. You know what's going to happen to you after you die. I mean, we don't want something to happen to you now, but just can step back and zoom out on this just for a moment. Now, how are you going to think? How are you going to function? How are you looking at the best interest? How does your life serve the lives of others? How does your life serve the advancement of, of kingdom dynamics? Or, or the kingdom of God? How does your life serve that in the midst of all of this? And I think those, like there's there's churches around that they're not able to meet, but you know what they're doing? They're going to go and bring food to the elderly because they're stuck in, or they're, they're serving people in a parking lot. They're finding new ways to continue the mission of the church and to be a support while being an example to the rest of the community. So there is ways to do this in a much bigger navigational way versus um, some of our limited thought on this. And again, no matter what your decision out there, uh, for believers, I, I believe God's wisdom is in you. You have to get through all of the knowledge that has been flooded your head, but his wisdom resides in you. And I think if we could just calm, we could see how to navigate through that. And remember, it's almost like climbing a mountain and everybody's starting at a different place on the mountain. That means your journey is going to look different and how to navigate around the obstacles is going to be different and your decisions you're going to be make. But the end goal, we're getting to the top of the mountain. So if we can bring that calm around that, I think we could have some navigation to the bigger picture. And I think that's where Mordecai was telling Esther, yeah, you could do nothing right now. 
but your decision based on your self-preservation of yourself is going to eventually cost you and everybody else will be free. And the same could go the other way. Your overreaction to something can cause harm versus you having to have the courage to hold yourself back. The world is crying out for stability, for strength, for, for uh, a selfless fortitude, a calm, a wisdom. So I want you to consider if Christians became lighthouses in the midst of all this. Remember, the lighthouse is placed and fixed, so you're already in a place. If you, Even when the storm crashes and everything is going on, if you remain fixed and your light is on, those that are sh the ships that are being tossed to and fro from the storm will be again looking to gain some perspective because of your light. But if we spend our time moving our lighthouse all over to get the most strategic position, guess what? Your lighthouse is no different than the ship that's at sea. It's okay to be stable and fixed right where you're at and know that you have the power and the fortitude and the force to be the beacon because it's not about you finding higher ground. You know that you're fixed on a rock, so it doesn't matter what beats on you because your role is to remain steady and steadfast so that way those around you can have a beacon to, to lock onto during this time. Man, to me, that's so comforting because it, on one hand... We focus on, if I could just get out of the storm, if I could just make it through this storm, if I could just get out of the waves because it's so difficult. But ultimately, if you peel back the layers, you you don't really want to be out of the storm because another one's just going to come. You want to know that you're going to make it through and that you have a foundation that's strong and secure enough to withstand the storm. That inspires so much confidence in a person. And so that's what I'm hoping we can all get from this. That's what I really see in the story of Esther is that kind of stability, knowing that a decree has been given, you're going to make it. So now you have what it takes to rise up and go through it. And I hope we focus on that. I'm going to be focused on that personally, because I know it's very easy to get stuck in. Why is this happening to me? Why am I alive at this time? It's the most difficult time in history. But I really think we can take some comfort and courage from the wise words of Gandalf when he says, so do I, so do all who live to see such times. But that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us.